In the old days of computers, when you talked about mass storage devices, you really meant mass storage devices. This 40-inch hard disk drive held about 10 megabytes. On this week's Computer Chronicles, we'll be looking at the newest in mass storage devices. Please join us. Computer Chronicles is made possible in part by a grant from AFIPS, the American Federation of Information Processing Societies. AFIPS, sponsors of OAC 86, the nation's leading conference on business technology. For conference information, call 800-OAC-1986. Exploring today's business solutions. Additional funding is provided by McGraw-Hill, publishers of Byte. Byte's detailed technical articles on new hardware, software, and languages cover the latest in microcomputer technology worldwide. Byte, the international standard. Welcome to the Computer Chronicles. I'm Stuart Chaffe, and this is Gary Kildall. Gary, we're talking about hard disk drives today, and what I have here are RAM cards. This is another way to get some mass storage. This is AST's 6-pack plus. You can get about 380K on this particular board. This is Intel's new above board. You can get up to 2 megs storage on that board. It seems there are so many alternatives around to hard disk drives, it suggests that there are still problems with hard disk <laughs> drives. Well, I think the RAM card and the hard disk uh, those two are those two different phenomena. And uh, the RAM card is really an attempt to expand out that limited amount of memory we have in a 16-bit machine. And I think they'll tend to go away as we go to 32-bit machines where the address space is really mm -hmm. unconstrained. Now, hard disk, of course, we have the problems of the mechanical devices, uh, as bearings, uh, head crashes, things of that sort. So we have to be very careful to make sure the data is backed up properly and can be restored when those crashes do occur. Because you'll start to hear the bearings <laughs> whirl and you know, all sorts of problems with them. So the problems with the mechanical devices are still there. We're going to take a look at hard disk drives today, and we'll take a look at some of the alternatives, like the Bernoulli box, like tape streamers for backup. We'll begin by looking at an incredible new device that's a hard disk on a card, and it's called the hard card. Once limited to mainframe monsters, the hard disk has become a desirable addition for PC owners. Early disk platters shrank to 12. Five and a quarter, and now three and a half inches in diameter, small enough to fit completely on a single PC board. It's the first hard disk drive subsystem that's been designed to be installed and used by the end, by the end user. Uh, by that I mean, up until now, disk drives have been manufactured for the systems manufacturers, who then go through a technical installation to put that subsystem into their system. With hard card, uh, anyone who uses the PC can install it in about 10 minutes, uh, so it's very easy to install. Um, other major benefit is it's extremely reliable product because we have designed uh, both the electronics and the mechanical portion of the hard disk together. We're able to greatly reduce the parts count. As a result, uh, we've been able to reduce the size of hard card to, uh, to a single IBM expansion slot. Sluggish sales of personal computers have led to business failures and pessimistic predictions. But vendors of add-on peripherals, like the hard card, see the slowdown as an opportunity. Corporations uh, in 1985 in particular uh, are not buying PCs in the quantities in which they used to. And the reason is that they've bought millions of them in the last three years. And uh, they've greatly uh, 
broadened the use of those PCs among their employees. And today they're focusing on how do they improve the productivity of that investment that they've already made. And so in that respect, hard card is a natural. Paradoxically, as computer parts become smaller, users have come to expect concurrently better performance and cheaper prices. But the trend toward smaller formats doesn't always exclude multiple standards. Uh, I think there'll be multiple standards, as has been the history uh, with Winchester disk drives. There are still many Winchester disk drives that have 14-inch uh, media, have 8-inch media, and they constantly increase the performance and capacity of those disk drives. Five and a quarter inch in recent years has, has become uh, 100 megabyte, 200 megabyte drives that have been announced and, and some of them being shipped. Um, three and a half inch is the most recent form factor, uh, the size of the disk. And uh, I think capacities will over time increase on the three and a half inch disk as well. Uh, maybe the next question is will there be a, a sub three inch disk? And uh, I don't know the answer to that. If there are real benefits, then I can guarantee there will be some. Joining us now in the studio are Joel Kammerman. Joel is the CEO of Kammerman Labs of Beaverton, Oregon, and next to Joel is Alan Ebright, the manager for systems development at Priam Corporation of San Jose. Gary? Stuart, it seems like any serious PC user now has a hard disk, and unfortunately the technology has been improving, the price has been going down. So, Alan, could you tell us a little bit about the technology? Well, the current technology in hard disks is that in the IBM PC XT, 10 megabyte hard disks are being shipped standard. Mm -hmm. In the IBM AT, the higher performance computer, 20 megabytes are standard, disks are standard, and 30 megabyte disks are available. Also, there are add-in disks, other disks that can be placed actually within the CPU of the uh, IBM PC XT or AT. Okay, now this, this particular disk, I guess, is a Cadillac of the line, sort of. This is the higher end, <laughs> higher performance, higher capacity disk. This is a 60 megabyte unit formatted user data. We've taken the cover off of this unit, which has ruined the unit. Um, these units are generally assembled in clean room facilities, and once you've taken the cover off, dust and dirt will so, get so into the a unit. A warning to our it. viewers not to do what you're about <laughs> right. to do. We've Just done this so they off. won't have to. Okay. The disc is an electromechanical device that's composed of the actual disc platters themselves. There's four in this unit. These are the platters. They're mounted on a hub, which is turned by a motor. Head assembly. This is the actual read-write head, which is moved on an arm across mm -hmm. the surface of the disc to access the information on the disc. This arm is moved by a small motor, in this case, a rotary voice coil motor, which is here. In addition, there's a filter on this unit, this black element over here, which, as the disc is turning, it pumps air through the HDA, the head disc assembly, mm -hmm. and filters the air to make sure that the thing maintains a clean environment. Now, we hear about the, uh, this idea of the air flowing through there and, and the head floating over a surface, of the, uh, a surface by the air that's pumped through there. How does that actually operate? Well, it's a very critical part of the Winchester disk operation. Mm -hmm. What actually happens is that as the disks are turned, they pull air along with them in the cavity, mm -hmm. and this air is forced in between the head and the disk surface, and it builds uh, an air bearing such that the head to disk distance is very carefully, very uh, closely Okay, controlled. and that's what's known as a head crash, I guess, is when that, <laughs> that control isn't there. When that control isn't there. <laughs> okay. Alan, that's what everybody is concerned about with hard disks. We're told they're very delicate, fragile things, and you mustn't bang them and so on. How delicate is it? Well, hard disks are delicate instruments from the standpoint that it's a precision electromechanical instrument, and they should be treated with care. But 
you would also treat your computer with care. I mean, you wouldn't drop your, your CRT or you wouldn't care to drop your system unit. This disc and many other discs have shock mounts on it, which help to minimize the problem of, of shock to the unit. The unit's mounted here, and the shock mounts will absorb some of the uh, impact of a... Of a uh, just a jar of some sort. Jar of some this, sort. Is a, this is an internally mounted unit. Uh, uh, Joel, you have, a, a, I guess, an add-on box now. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, this is a Masterflight 6060. Mm -hmm. Contained within it is our two 30-megabyte hard disk subsystems, a 60-megabyte tape backup system. We also have built-in power direction to control access to all your peripherals, a lock and key to control access to your hard disks. We have a surge protector and a built-in filter to control uh, unwanted spikes or noise. To you just cable this back in the back end of your PC and you're ready to go. Everything plugs conveniently into now, the Now, one of the, this tape cartridge backup, this is again an issue that people talk about. I would back up my files, especially when they're, they're 20, 30 <laughs> megabytes. And uh, how long does it take you to back up uh, this particular system? Uh, to back up 10 megabytes on our system takes about two and a half minutes in a file by file mode. Mm -hmm. So, okay. if you, and this is a 60 megabyte system, so you'd multiply by six. Six yeah. to have to do all that, which is about 15 minutes or okay. so. Now, what is it, and, and in terms of the, uh, from a consumer standpoint, uh, an internally mounted drive versus an uh, externally mounted uh, subsystem, what is the price difference, just to give a comparison? Internal subsystems range from about $399 all the way up to mm -hmm. about 6000 for the external subsystems. Okay. Alan, what, what kind of user needs that amount of capacity? I mean, you, you're talking about 60 megabytes or 60 megabytes here. You said the AT comes with the 20 megabyte drive. But when, do you, when, when should the consumer start thinking about needing this amount of storage? Well, the most common application for high-end, high-performance disk drives is in high-end computers. So more likely a user who's using an IBM AT, which has significantly greater performance than an XT, would be using a 60 megabyte disk. Um, along with the added storage capacity in, in this disk, you also receive better access time parameters. The mm -hmm. disk itself performs better. You're able to get to the data quicker. And when you have more data, getting to it faster is generally one of your requirements. And so when the, when the consumer is looking at these, the drive specs, they look at the seek time and latency, and those are two important factors. Well, it's a difficult, it's a difficult process to really fully understand the specs from the standpoint that when you look at seek time, seek time is generally quoted over the capacity of the drive. So let's say mm -hmm. average access over 60 megabytes, whereas another 10 megabyte unit will be average access over 10 megabytes, and you're not really comparing apples to apples. I see. Right. Alan, uh, getting back to this backup problem, which is a problem, it seems to me, it still takes 15 minutes, as you say, to back up what would be on that one drive with a tape streamer. Where, where is that technology? Are we getting to some better backup system than tape streamers? Anybody? Well, Any the, help? The, the primary thrust in tape, and <coughs> streamers in particular, has been to get the cost out of the unit. And so that's, that's been the thrust, has been able to build a less expensive reliable yeah. mechanical system that will allow you to do large capacity backup. I guess that, that I feel that 60 megabytes backed up at uh, in 12 minutes or 15 minutes is really it's pretty good performance. Yeah, if you compare that to trying to back up with the standard well, floppy, floppy sure. uh, you'll find <laughs> that good. it's very good performance. Okay, gentlemen, thank you very much. We've been talking about the IBM world. If you own a Macintosh, you've had a problem trying to get a hard drive hooked up to it, but then along came HyperDrive. Wendy Woods has a report. Macintosh owners are raving about the hyperdrive, an internal hard disk for the Macintosh that increases its speed by a factor of three, boosts its storage by 10 to 20 megabytes, and enables it to run a number of programs simultaneously. That's a tremendously easy sell. Uh, there's no question about it. It's an incredibly popular unit. We probably sell at least one hyperdrive for every Macintosh that we sell here. Uh, it's a fantastic unit, and I can't imagine working on a Macintosh at this point without a hyperdrive.
In this demonstration, the Mac with the hyperdrive is on the left. The one without it is on the right. You can see the difference in speed. One can't underestimate the importance of the hyperdrive to the Macintosh, not only because it's expanded the Macintosh's capabilities, but also because it's helped the machine gain acceptance in the business community, according to General Computer's Kevin Curran. Uh, as of late, our product is getting acceptance in the Fortune 1000 companies, uh, companies like uh, Eastman Kodak, uh, AT&T, GE, have purchasing uh, Macs and hyperdrives in small numbers, evaluating them as an alternative to the IBM personal computer standard. One of the drive's biggest selling points has come from Apple itself. Apple decided that installation of a hyperdrive, which takes a technician about an hour, will not void the Macintosh warranty. This is the first time Apple has given a third-party vendor's product this kind of endorsement. A testimony to the hyperdrive's success and its utility. For the Computer Chronicles, I'm Wendy Woods. We'll talk more about hard disk drives here in the studio in just a minute. First of all, there's another alternative to the hard disk, a rather incredible invention called the Bernoulli box. We took a look at the Bernoulli box at the recent Comdex show in Las Vegas. 10, 20, 50, 100 megabytes or more. And for some PC users, it's still not enough. One hard disk manufacturer, iOmega, thinks it's found a solution to this data hunger by putting disks in removable cartridges and applying a technique called the Bernoulli principle. The product is based around a 200-year-old concept developed by Daniel Bernoulli, the Swiss mathematician who taught us how to fly airplanes, make curveballs curve, sailboats sail. The same principles apply to the way we manage the diskette interface to the reading and writing device, the head. Uh, having accomplished this technical breakthrough, the thing that is available to the user is transportability of a high-capacity cartridge, 10 megabytes or 20 megabytes. We offer the idea of exchanging and interchanging data between multiple systems so that users can share mass databases among multiple sites, uh, multiple units within a given office complex. The cartridge, because it uses a flexible diskette, is very, very rugged. It is very tolerant of the abuse that is, is found in the most office environments. In fact, we can be mailed across the country without special protection. The Bernoulli box also features an unorthodox read-write head meant to overcome the hard disk's most disturbing quirk, the head crash. We, in fact, are uh, immune to head crashes on the basis that we remove air <clears throat> from the, the disk media and the head to maintain contact, whereas a Winchester file forces air to separate the head from the media. If we have a loss of power, we lose our head disk interface. So the, the pressure uh, that has been removed, the vacuum that was created through the Bernoulli effect, disappears and the diskette flies away from the, from the head. The potentially infinite capacity of a cartridge-based system is one answer to the expanding taste for more and more data storage, but at a price. This drive is at least three times the price of a low-end hard disk. And storing files on multiple cartridges means switching them back and forth like floppies.
Finally, optical discs could present a serious challenge, offering 50 times the storage capacity of one 10-megabyte magnetic disc. As if to please everyone, iOmega and Reference Technology showed off a combined CD-ROM and magnetic storage system. The dynamics of data can be best managed by the Bernoulli cartridge. Obviously, the huge volumes and the compact size of the CD-ROM play into a different application function. But the two, when, they brought, when they're brought together, then offer even an amplified capability over uh, what either could do separately. It looks like there's still new approaches to hard disk technology. I hope so. Yeah. Now, let me introduce our new guest to you. This is Robert E. Brown, the president of Landmark Software. In addition to that, Bob's the author of a book on hard disk drives for the IBM PC. And back with us again is Alan Ebright of Priam. Bob, you've studied the hard disk phenomenon. Uh, are we, in fact, taking over the mini-computer world with the AT and the 70 megabyte systems and things of that sort? Oh, yes, that's certainly the way things are going. Now, what kind of applications do we see? Like many computers, they're, they're, they use uh, large database uh, systems and so forth that really, uh, let's say, incorporate these disks into the, into the software. What, what are we doing in terms of ATs, let's say, in hard disks that really are mini computer like? Well, certainly, database applications uh, eat up a tremendous amount of space. Uh, program developers uh, have an insatiable appetite for uh, disk space. Well, would that be in a sense of, you know, do you, does a programmer, for example, let's, let's take that example, does a programmer really need to have, say, 60 megabytes of data, or does it just happen as you're writing programs and you're backing up files, they just kind of go off into the corner and you lose track of them? Well, it's so much more <laughs> convenient to have all the information you need on the one disk rather than have to be uh, switching floppy disks. Well, Alan, what, in, in, your, in your situation, you, you've seen lots of the consumer uses of, the, of your disk. What, what sort of applications do you see? Well, what you find is that you're able to do new things because of the new disks. You're able to do new and different things because you have more storage available, and also you'll be able to get to the data in that storage more rapidly. Okay, what are some of the new and different things? Um, application, well, what many of the things that are happening is that system applications are migrating from large computers down into the personal computer environment. Okay. In a business environment, a person who does cash management, for instance, would be able to have programs online at his or her desk where they could do an analysis of the cash handling without having to go to a large mainframe or time-sharing system. Now, would that have been, uh, let's say, typically a, a VAX uh, 750 type of operation? It would have been a much that? larger computer in the past, and so now it's within the control of the individual. How is this going to affect the mini computer industry, then? <laughs> well, they're going to have to move up. Yeah. They're going to have to have more powerful machines to stay out of the way of the micro, super microcomputers that are moving up into their marketplace. So it's, you think it's more of, a, say, a, a business application? And, I mean, would I, as a, say, a, as a home user, be interested in a 70 megabyte drive? Probably not. Okay. <laughs> Do you feel well, on that? No, uh, virtually anybody with that caliber of drive has some sort of business use for it. Mm -hmm. Bob, okay. any, any idea where this all ends, though? It seems mass storage is like money. It doesn't matter how much you have. You always need some more, it, it seems. Uh, any idea where, where we can go in hard disk drive technology? There's, uh, there's really no limit. Uh, the rate of uh, change depends a lot on IBM. Uh, when IBM was selling 10 megabyte drives in the XT, that was the standard size. Now that IBM offers 20 and 30 meg in the AT, that's become the standard size. Mm -hmm. now what, in general, uh, we hear a lot about optical storage, read-write technology, and so forth. Uh, how does that affect the whole hard disk phenomenon in terms of 
magnetic storage versus optical and so forth? Well, the, the optical is going to be a wonderful backup medium for one application, mm -hmm. uh, but it's still a couple years away from the standpoint of having uh, a price that uh, a typical business user would be willing to pay. Okay. And the performance does not appear that to be as good as uh, today's Winchesters. Mm -hmm. All right, so you get, you get higher storage densities, that gives you the ability to backup files, and if you use the right ones, uh, capability mm -hmm. of an optical disc, and that gives you basically what we saw in a streaming tape, but a That's right. faster transfer rate. Mm -hmm. Alan, go ahead, Alan. It's also a method to be able to distribute large databases. So with an optical disc, you could begin to have online on your system a very large database. When you have a large database, there's a high probability that you want to manipulate that mm -hmm. database, okay. and that'll drive you towards larger internal magnetic disks where right. you can transfer this large database onto the disc and modify it for your own application. So you see it as more of a complementary type yes, of technology than something as a replacement, say, for magnetic mm -hmm. disks. That's correct. Mm -hmm. Ellen, what are the technological problems, going back to hard disks now, in getting beyond, say, the 60 meg level where you are now? I mean, you've got four platters, you've got eight platters, but other than that, what can you do to get okay. more storage in there? Well, in addition to adding more platters, you can increase the track density, the number of tracks that you have across the surface. You can increase the bit density, the number of bits that you have around the surface. And you can also modify the encoding method, the efficiency with which you place the data on the disk. Now, as a consumer, uh, we, uh, I guess in the past, have been worried about the reliability of, of disk drives. Now you're talking about packing it in tighter and putting more information in the same space. Is this going to affect the reliability? Do we have to worry again about head crashes and losing data and so forth? Well, I believe that it helps the reliability from the standpoint of higher performance, higher capacity disk drives allow us to put more drive technology into the unit. Mm -hmm. uh, better quality read channel, better quality media, uh, natural course events of getting higher capacity forces a better design and a better so, quality so product. So if, if I buy a drive like this and I put in my AT, can I just sit there and run it? And if I do it that way, how many hours can I expect it to last? Um, 15,000 hours is the quoted spec. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a very reasonable number. Greater than that can be expected. Bob, we have about a, a half a minute left. What about the prices on hard disk drives? Are they going to fall the same way floppy disk drives have fallen? Well, they've already fallen a tremendous amount. Uh, after all, it was only about a year ago that a 10 megabyte drive was selling for $1,000, and now 10 megabyte systems are as low as, say, 395 hmm. Okay, gentlemen, we're out of time. Thank you very much. Well, it seems like mass storage devices are like freeways. The more you build them, the more the traffic builds up to take advantage of them. Where will it all end? We asked our commentator, George Morrow, for his thoughts. Like freeways, money is another resource which is consumed as fast as it's created. Now, the computer industry has come to expect that memory density will quadruple every two years, a whopping amount when compared with money or freeways. For the semiconductor people, this means smaller geometries and larger defect-free crystals. But for the Winchester disk designers, it means getting four times the performance out of the treacherous world of magnetic flux. It means ever finer track densities and having to access those tracks with tricky electromechanical devices, stepper motors, springs, gears, and all the maddening problems with tolerances and mechanical resonances and the like. As if this were not enough, these designers know they have to make all this work while some reporter from InfoWorld or PC Week drops the drive a foot or so onto a desk in order to prove to his readers he's still on the trail of those problems with drives on the IBM AT. Not an easy life. I think it's time to say a prayer that these designers can keep doing the fantastic job we've come to take for granted. That's how I see it. I'm George Morrow.
In the random access file this week, it looks like Apple will be unveiling a new upgraded version of the Macintosh next month. It'll be called the Mac Plus, and it will feature one megabyte of memory, a double-density 800K disk drive, an expanded keyboard, and greater speed. It will also feature a new SCSI interface to make it easier to connect third-party peripherals. IBM is reportedly planning to cut the price of the PCAT. The reasons for the cut, a heavy AT inventory, softening of demand, and possibly the prelude to a new product. The AT price reportedly will be cut by about 20%. AT&T has announced that it has begun to manufacture new thin-screen plasma displays for portable computers. The AT&T display is about one inch thick, weighs four pounds. AT&T says it can be viewed under all lighting conditions and within a 150-degree viewing range. Digital Equipment Corporation has announced its newest, fastest, and most expensive 32-bit Super Mini, the VAX 8650. DEC says it runs at some 6 million instructions per second and sells for about half a million dollars. Business appears to be picking up for Hewlett-Packard. HP plants in California and Oregon will be going back to full-time work after months of shortened work schedules and forced vacations. However, HP workers will be facing a 5% wage cut in return for the resumption of a full work week. Time for this week's software pick, and here's our reviewer, Paul Schindler. This really takes me back to my youth. Not real ping pong, of course, but a few years before that when I played my first video game, Pong. It was everyone's first video game, just like Life and Adventure were everyone's first computer games, and Eliza was most people's first exposure to a primitive form of artificial intelligence. In the computer game field, barely a decade old, the term golden oldie might seem a contradiction. But these four are golden oldies, and now they come in a single package. Golden Oldies is the first K-Tel floppy of a great old computer games. Remember Adventure with its keys and greats and directions? How about Eliza, whose answers can often be as frustrating as those of any Freudian analyst, picking a word or two from your answer and turning it back around on you? Then there's Life, the biology-based game in which the odds favor death, as they do in real life. The generations move quickly here. Finally, there's Pong, in both the original version and a new color version. I think $35 is a reasonable price to pay for this walk down memory lane, which is not copy protected. It comes from software country in Beverly Hills, California. Maybe they'll sell it through a special TV offer. We'll see. For the Computer Chronicles, I'm Paul Schindler. In our legislative update file, the Senate Armed Services Subcommittee has heard conflicting testimony from computer scientists on whether or not the Star Wars defense program can be adequately supported by the necessary computer technology. Scientists from USC and Bell Labs told the Senate committee that the technology already exists to support Star Wars. However, other scientists said the necessary software could never be adequately debugged since it could never be tested under real battle conditions. One critic also pointed out that the U.S. would be extremely vulnerable to espionage on the software code. The Japanese have come out with a progress report on their fifth generation computer project and the report says that progress is slow. The Japanese research team now says the fifth generation project research may not bear fruit until the late 1990s. The 5G project has been hit by budget cuts and some reluctance of Japanese companies to put their best scientists on the project. However, the Japanese say they have settled on a software format called the Guarded Horn Clause. No clues as to what that means. Meanwhile, computer scientists in Britain say they are making progress on their own fifth-generation project using what they call a functional logic language and transputers. The Brits say they'll have the machine up and running by 1988. 
Finally, the world's first ballet for humans and robot took place last week in Palo Alto, California. The original ballet, entitled Invisible Cities, featured nine dancers and a robot developed at Stanford. The choreographer said the robot performed perfectly. The review said the robot's performance was expressive, displaying a sensual lyricism. That's it for this week's Chronicles. We'll see you next time. The Computer Chronicles is made possible in part by a grant from AFIPS, the American Federation of Information Processing Societies. AFIPS, sponsors of OAC 86, the nation's leading conference on business technology. For conference information, call 800-OAC-1986. Exploring today's business solutions. Additional funding is provided by McGraw-Hill, publishers of Byte. Byte's detailed technical articles on new hardware, software, and languages cover the latest in microcomputer technology worldwide. Byte, the international standard.